James Evans is an associate director at the Bell Shakespeare Company. He is a graduate of the National Institute of Dramatic Art and holds a Master of Arts from the University of Sydney. In 2018, he directed the Julius Caesar national tour for the company, previously directing productions of Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet and A Midsummer Night's Dream. He commenced work with Bell Shakespeare as an actor and appeared in productions of Richard III, Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth and Henry IV. James's production of Much Ado About Nothing opens next week at the Sydney Opera House following a national tour. In 2020, he is back on the boards in Bell's production of Hamlet. There was much ado in this episode of the podcast as, guided by James, we examined the life and times of the Bard of Avon and brushed up on our Shakespeare. For the tour, a few weeks ago they were in Perth and, and I think that was a nice moment for her to get back there. Do they play the match or the ledge, ledger? Ledger, yeah. Yeah. The ledger. Yes. The ledger. Right. It's a nice little space. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah. So congratulations on, on the current production of Much Ado About Nothing. Thanks, Peter. National tour and about to arrive in Sydney at the Opera House. Um, you've been with them a long time, Bell Shakespeare. Yes, I have. Yeah. You started yeah. as an actor with them? Yeah, when I, I graduated from NIDA end of 2001 and... That was one of the first gigs I got was in the travelling, the touring education show. So going yep. around to schools and, and travelling the country and doing that, which is called The Players now. Um, that's um, hard yakka too, I guess, uh, because you're yeah. bumping in sets and you're doing everything, aren't you? Yes, although the sets for that are very simple. Just a couple of banners, a few simple props. We're in a school gym. We're in one of those multi-purpose halls, you know. So, so in fact, it's really simple, just a simple connection between the actors and the kids. Um, but for the, for young actors, it really teaches them their craft, and and boy, you you learn pretty quickly what works and what doesn't. And kids are a pretty unforgiving audience, <laughs> aren't they? Aren't they? You, there's, there's no bullshit with kids. That's they'll, right. they'll spot it a mile away. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so I did that for a year, and then I got into the teaching and education, and um, and got a couple of gigs in the uh, on the main stage, and then. Um, my my kind of permanent job came up about 10 years ago and um yeah they haven't been able to get rid of me <laughs> since then so. uh, how old's bell shakespeare i remember probably 1990 taking a bunch of kids to yep. see a hamlet was that the first 91 production? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah it was it was in a Christopher tent Stollery, i think playing hamlet, uh yeah oh, oh, that was 92 yeah right. john polson played um, hamlet in 91 the very first production they did um, which obviously John Bell directed, and that was just in a tent, literally in a circus tent, touring around. Um, and they did that for years before they um, got some funding together and and um, and got a home, and off they went. It's, I, mean, mm. I mean, it's quite exploded in the last. Um, I'm trying to do the maths now. Twenty mm. something years. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. right. Yeah. So thirty. So next year is the thirtieth anniversary. Thirtieth. And yeah. it's got quite a, a reputation around the world now as one of the major Shakespeare. Yeah, that's right. It's really good because um, I've met with um, people from New York, from the from the public theatre in New York, and from the RSC and the Globe in in England, and you know they all know about Bell Shakespeare and the work that we do here. Um, but the good thing is that you know the education and the the main stage kind of sit side by side in the company. I think that's what really makes it unique throughout the world, actually. So was John's intention to bring um, an Australian sensibility to, to mm. Shakespeare or to interpret it that way? Very much so. You know, John, um, he grew up in the Hunter Valley and then had a Shakespeare troupe come through town and that that's what kind of inspired him. Uh, 
and off he went to England, and he was with the Royal Shakespeare Company for a couple of years. Because they, they they would come out to Australia too. The RSC, yeah, that's they, right. In, yeah, and it was very much about and, yeah. that's right, bringing culture to the to the colonies, sort of, <laughs> sort of thing. And so when John got back to Australia in the early seventies, no one was doing Shakespeare with. Australian accents it was all British accents so he was kind of the first one to go no no this can be we we can own this as well this can be Australian as well I think it was probably quite controversial early on Um, so the Australian rhythm sort of uh, mm. fit with the, the iambic pentameter and all that sort of thing oh absolutely yeah yeah no doubt no doubt about it and um, and just kind of I think John was the first one to kind of take it away from being a stuffy museum piece style of, of presentation and and you know you, you go back and look at reviews for that early production of Hamlet he did at the Nimrod and you know it's apparently it was just electric people on the edge of their seats and never seen anything like it before um, so yeah he really established it and then rem- remember that's 20 years before he starts Bell Shakespeare so he'd, he'd been doing it for a long time yes is that um, was it much ado about nothing the famous production at the Seymour Centre mm. I think that uh, uh, had uh, um, Drew Forsyth and Megan oh, Linko yes. and Tony Sheldon. And, yes, yeah. yeah, I think he said it on the Gold Coast or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Which, which I mean, uh, novelties, gimmicks, or what is that? Mm-hmm. like that, they're not really. Mm. But, you know, Shakespeare's writing for the people of his day. So yeah. a production today, I mean, if you can sort of make it um, relate to the people of today, then yeah. they're going to access it much easier. Yeah, I think so. Um, and making it contemporary. But I don't think you necessarily need to kind of set it in a very specific... You know, you see this a lot in America where they say, you know, for example, that last Julius Caesar they did at the public theatre, you know, Caesar is Trump, you know. So so they make, make Caesar, they put him in a red tie, give him a blonde wig, give him an accent like Trump. And I, I find what that does is it just kind of locks down any other possibilities or the audience using their own imagination. You've kind of... Uh, pre-masticated the interpretation for them, you know, rather than allowing them. But whereas I think Shakespeare is a lot more ambiguous than that. I think, you know, a lot of different things can sit side by side within a production. We don't have to spell everything out for the audience. That, that's what I think. That public theatre production caused quite a bit of furor, didn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. That was in the park. That's right. Park? It was yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in Central and, Park. Um, uh, <laughs> it's holding Shake, um, Trump up as Julius Caesar. Um, yeah. All the flack that it got, was it from people who really understood what the play was about? Or? Well, not at all. I no. mean, that, that's the problem. Was they, it that reactionary? They, of course. And they completely missed the point because, you know, the protests were around, obviously, Caesar gets murdered and the protests were sort of stop portrayals of violence against the right. That's what they were saying. Ironically, with death threats against Shakespeare companies as well. So, you know, um, they didn't quite get the irony of that. But... Um, uh, the the point they miss is Shakespeare's not saying it's good to kill Trump. He's saying if you kill Trump, cause, because the, the the death of Caesar happens right in the middle of the play, right? I think he's saying if you kill Trump, then what you unleash later is far far worse. So if you use the 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 um, tactics of tyranny in order to overthrow a tyrant, then you, you absolutely can't base your society on that. I think that's what that play is about. I saw a great production of it at Melbourne Theatre Company mm. um, 20 years ago now or something. Yeah. Simon Phillips directed. Yeah. John Stanton as Caesar and Marcus Graham was in it. Mm. And Robin Nevin played... Um, Anthony, was it? Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it was very contemporary. They were in suits yes, in, yes. in business offices. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. So what about your introduction to Shakespeare uh, at school? Yeah. Because it, was, it has often in the past been taught 
badly. Yes, very um, much so. It's not meant yeah. to be read, is it? No. Well, it's meant to be performed, isn't it? I mean, yeah. even if you think about the way that Shakespeare's actors got their scripts, no one got the full play. I mean, because in those days, you, you didn't want to write the whole thing out 20 times, you know, but, but everyone just got their part, right? So you got all the words that you say and just a cue, a couple of words that, you know, you're supposed, supposed to listen out for before your speech starts. You don't know what's going on. You don't know who the other characters are in the scene. You go away and learn your lines. And the thing only comes to life when all the actors got together just before they performed it, ran it a couple of times. Okay, good. Oh, right. My Lord, when I'm saying that, I mean you. Okay, good. And, and so so really it was meant to be performed and heard and, and it's meant to have an audience. And so unfortunately with kids, when we sit around and kind of read the whole play from start to finish in, in the book as it, as it is, uh, it just kills it, deadens it. Because so, language could be quite difficult um, yeah, for, for yeah. You know, secondary kids. Who are, Absolutely, you know. of course it can. And so we, we, we should uh, you know, give it to them in, in small chunks, tell them the story, then give them a little bit of a scene. This is how we teach Shakespeare. Is we, we start with story, then we go to a little bit of text, and then we you know, go to a scene, and then perhaps you know, an edited version of a couple of scenes. Um, we really don't try and shove the whole thing down their throats because, of course, then they say, oh, I don't get it, it's dumb, it's boring, I don't understand, what's the point? Yeah, it's got to be, it's, you, you've got to bring them along gently. They're crackers of stories. Extraordinary. Really, yeah, <laughs> incredible. How many did he write? I mean, is it 27? I mean, there's much conjecture, I, I guess. Yeah, I think, in well, in the first folio there are 36, um, but Pericles is missing. So 37, I suppose you would say, and then a couple of others that he probably co-wrote with various people and or had a hand in. Yeah. Right. So what, what side of the fence do you sit on? Do you think that, that he wrote them all or that yeah. uh, there were... Other people with nom de plumes or <laughs> pretending to be. Or? Yeah. Look, there, there was a, a tradition of co-writing, and certainly early in his career he co-writes a couple of plays like Titus Andronicus and some of the Henry VI plays. But really, uh, the, the rest of it is all him. And then later in his career it goes back to co-writing as well. But but really, um, most the bulk of the plays are entirely Shakespeare. Well, you know, he probably had a good agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was a really good businessman. That's the thing people don't understand about Shakespeare is that he wasn't just a great writer. He he knew what the people wanted. He knew how to tiptoe around the censors and around the uh, around the the laws and the, the government kind of um, censoring his plays. Um, and he he knew how to write a great story that would, would would draw the people in. And and not only that, he knew how to cast stars that would put bums on seats as well. He had a couple of big stars in his company and he would keep casting them and they would be they would come up again and again and people would come to see them. Because we don't know a lot about the actors of the time. We just know they were all male troops or whatever, mm. but there were yeah. actors that had a following and were, were able to start. Oh, very much so, yeah. Like Richard Burbage, for example, one of his great actors. I mean, this is the guy... So Burbage sponsored him as well, didn't he? So the, was... the Burbage family were um, were owners of, of one of the theatres, um, the, the first theatre that he was in called The Theatre. Um, but, but Richard was the actor... And he, you know, this guy originates the roles of Romeo, you know, Hamlet, Macbeth, King Lear, Othello. I mean, you can imagine what kind of an actor, <laughs> actor you're dealing with there. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And Shakespeare wrote for the pe- wrote for the troupe that he had. He wrote for the people he had. Oh, yeah. So he had a certain number of character actors or... Yeah, that's right. ...or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, we know that specifically because he had this clown actor called Will Kemp... Um, 
Uh, and then halfway through Shakespeare's career, Kemp leaves the company and a new cl- clown actor comes on board. And the way that Shakespeare writes his fools or clowns uh, shifts around 1599 to 1600. Oh, really? From, Depending on the skill set. That's right. Yeah. So the, the first guy was much more about gags and, and um, you know, so he plays Dogbury and those kind of kinds of... Um, and um, uh, the, the porter. And... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah. But then later on... Um, uh, you get the more melancholy fool, like the fool in King Lear and Touchstone and, and those kinds of fools who were played by a guy called Robert Armin who had a different skill set. So, yeah, he wrote for who he had. Jacques? Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 Um, mm-hmm. When was he born, Shakespeare? 1564. Right. And how did, where did he die? How did he die? He died in 1616, um, you know, on his uh, on his birthday apparently, and uh, wealthy, retired, and and very <laughs> well off. Oh, great! Yeah, okay. yeah. So I, he's not I one of those kind of struggling. Or... Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's yeah. it's interesting that he was actually you know knew about basically starts showbiz as well as a whole bunch of uh, other things. He basically, is the founder of modern show business. So what, was it early forties or something when he died? He no. was uh, fifty two. Fifty two, right? 52. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, na- natural yeah. causes or yes, yeah. apparently, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Cow didn't fall on him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what's the childhood like? Where, mm. what, what did his parents do? And um... yeah, well, his dad was a glover, uh, and uh, manufacturer of leather goods. But he, but also, his dad kind of rose through the ranks in the city council to become mayor of Stratford eventually. And then had a spectacular fall from grace because he was doing some dodgy business dealings and got fined and was kicked off the council. And so it's interesting. Shakespeare as a kid sees what it's like to be at the top and then what it's like to go all the way down. So already he's got sympathy for kind of all sorts of characters and people as a kid. So what, what's about his education? What, what were kids learning in school at the time? Latin. Greek, (laughs) the Bible, uh, and reciting great big passages of stuff, just pure memorization. Six days a week, you're at school at 6 a.m. If you haven't memorized it, you get the crap beaten out of you by the teacher. You know, that that was basically it. So, so, you know, a very, very harsh way of... uh, I I love telling kids about (laughs) about the way that Shakespeare was educated, just to let them know that, um, you know, things are much better now, (laughs) kids. Well, with all those influences, it's cool. I imagine the language of the day was quite different as Mm. well, more in tune with... Uh, what, what he was writing, the prose that he was writing in, in the plays? Yeah, look, I think so. But also, and the other thing which I remind kids is that, you know, a lot of his plays are, are in poetry and, you know, that is that is a specific form. People didn't walk around sprouting perfect diameter no. pentameter all day. <laughs> so, you know, these are heightened texts, you know, they're meant to be dramatic. But is that an invention of Shakespeare, the iambic pentameter? No, it's not no. an invention, but he was, you know, I guess the guy who perfected it and then kind of takes it in weird directions later in his career as well he starts to get a bit tired of it and starts mucking around with it later on because it's um it, it imitates the heartbeat doesn't it yeah Isn't that, that, that's right the i am ba-bump, 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 the heartbeat yeah what was the, the the first play that he wrote the first play um i think was one of the henry the sixth history plays uh, and then possibly soon after, Two Gentlemen of Verona and the Comedy of Errors. So he started with a few silly comedies and history plays. That's that's how he got his, his big start. Right. Yeah. A lot of you think of a lot of playwrights from last century and this century now are, are writing in specific genres. Mm-hmm. Um, they might experiment with the form, etc. But but Shakespeare was writing these plays that had very came from very different perspectives, whether yeah. they were romances or <clears throat> histories or tragedies. Yeah. Uh, 
how what informs him that he's able to write those sorts of plays? I mean, did he travel much? Well, again, we don't know. And the, and there were seven years in his life which are, you know, th- there are no records for where he was. No one knows. They're called, quote-unquote, the lost years. So maybe he travelled during that time. Maybe he went to across to the, the continent. Um, or maybe he just travelled the countryside. Or maybe he was a teacher. Um, but, you know, he seems to have been a guy who... You can imagine him just observing and just like a sponge soaking absolutely everything in. Every conversation, every facial expression, every person that he met, um, he would have, you know, probably like a steel trap memory just kept it in there and then out it comes in his plays. Because he did spend some time in court as a kind of um, court entertainment producer, I suppose you would say. So he knew those kind of people as well as the people that he grew up with in Stratford in the country. So he did meet a wide range of people. And I guess he's writing and exploring themes, you know, whether it be Macbeth's uh, ambition or... Mm politics and machinations in Julius Caesar and mm. then he's just putting them in different locales yeah. whether it be Scotland or yeah well look I, I I think that's absolutely brilliant I think that's one of the reasons why these plays are still performed today is because he does have that arm's length arm's length locale going on I mean he's talking about his contemporary society but he's saying no it's really a mystical forest or it's ancient Rome or it's ancient medieval Britain so also he dodges the senses in that way because he can say no no I'm just talking about Rome whereas yeah. really he's talking about contemporary leadership yeah yeah absolutely mm. um yeah and, and Midsummer's Dream we go to Athens mm. and um mm. but how do you like it that, that was a, a fantastical forest of Arden is yeah the forest of Arden he made that I think he made it up right. look um you know and Arden is his wife's family name so um uh you know and I think there was a, a wood of Arden somewhere in Warwickshire but um yeah no that's I think that's just meant to be purely made up yeah the shortest play is that the Scottish play. No, that's Comedy of Errors. Right. Scottish play comes close, but right. Comedy of Errors is super short. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm. What, what? Why do we call it the Scottish play? I mean, that, that's the <laughs> theatrical superstition, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, so many things um, have happened during runs of that play, uh, and actors and producers and. Uh, particularly I find backstage crew people who work in the theater are superstitious so so superstitious um, I once accidentally said it and in front of you know a, a production person and they were they were furious with me like really really angry wow. yeah I was like oh I didn't think <laughs> that was a problem anymore so yeah I try and avoid saying it now yeah. so we're not in the history of Bell and, and all those various productions of Macbeth that mm. have taken place have there been any tragedies or accidents or uh, well stuff gone gone wrong funny you should mention that. <laughs> the last time we did the Scottish play um, the the cast uh, just before the final dress rehearsal went out for burgers and um, four of them got salmonella poisoning and we had to postpone the opening night. Uh, had to send on understudies. Um, a couple of them were in hospital on drips for, for days and days. The assistant director couldn't get out of bed for a week. Uh, you know, it was... <laughs> it actually made the front page of the wow. Sydney Morning Herald that year um, because, you know, it's, it's the famous Scottish play falling apart. But, um, yeah, so these things, these things happen, absolutely. Um, what about the last play, mm. The Tempest? The Tempest, yeah. 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 Uh, it, what a beautiful play. So, uh, about forgiveness and letting go and and acceptance and and um, and unity uh, it's it's a it's an extraordinarily poetic beautiful play did he write the play knowing it was going to be his last was he about to sort of 
It sounds Sail off like into it. Retirement yeah, it feels like it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. But, but um, you know, and especially with that final speech where Prospero is saying, "Well, that's it now. I'm, I don't want to do magic anymore." You know, it's almost like the playwright saying, "I don't want to um, uh, play anymore. That's it. I'm done." Although after he wrote the Tempest, he did kind of semi come out of retirement and co-write a couple of things like Henry VIII and a few other things as well. Did he act? Yes, yeah, he did. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He played. Well, one of the roles we think he played was the ghost in Hamlet, um, uh, and uh, and he and he played and he was act, acting in a number of other Ben Johnson's um, plays as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, my research, yeah, I absolutely. Nicholas Rowe, Shakespeare's first biographer, mentioned that Shakespeare's role as the ghost in yes. his own Hamlet <laughs> uh, was the top of his performance. But apparently, also he played uh, King Duncan. Oh right, yeah. Um, Adam, you know, like okay, King yeah. Henry. Yeah. And, uh, and the ghost. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of old characters. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Adam. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Mm. What did he look like? Have you sort of delved into that? I mean, we see that that baldish man with mm. the beard, and mm. you know, there's a certain look. Yeah. Um, uh, but then, you know, Shakespeare in Love, we get Joseph Fiennes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I, who knows? You know, we have a couple of portraits of him. We have that um, that statue, that bust of him in Stratford, just above his grave, which kind of looks a bit smudgy. Doesn't look like much at all. Um, I, yeah, I, I like that one portrait of him that has the the earring and the open shirt. You know, he really looks like a kind of modern a pirate. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, <laughs> artiste. Um, his longest play. Mm. Now, um, apparently, at four thousand and forty-two lines yes. and twenty-nine thousand five hundred and fifty-one words. Oh God, mm. is Hamlet? Hamlet, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so that Hamlet, the full Hamlet, must play for what three and a half, four hours? Yeah, I reckon it would. Yeah, and um, famously, Branagh. When he made his um, film of Hamlet, obviously the studio told him no more than two hours, mate. And he said, OK, I'll do it as long as I can also make the four hour version. So there are two versions of that film. One is the entire thing and one is the, the cut down. But um, but see, here's the thing about long plays. I don't think that Shakespeare's company would have done ever done the four hour Hamlet. I don't think that was a thing at all. I That's think, a long time for the groundlings to stand. Oh, God, can yeah. you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> they would have started writing. <laughs> I think what's happened is he would write a whole play and then that gets shipped off to the censor. They've got to check for blasphemy and all that. Then it comes back. And so that's a very valuable piece of property for the theatre company now. It's an authorised play. And then from that, they can go, OK, which bits are we doing today? And they would make cuts and, and they would have touring versions and, and all sorts of things. So, so they never did. There was no such thing as the four-hour Hamlet. No right. way. So the plays actually went off to a censor to be checked. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The text would have to go off before you could do it. And then when he sent it back, then it was tick. You can do this play. Right. Mm. Uh, have we seen many productions of the full? I mean, you talk about Branagh's film, but, yeah. but stage productions of I, I guess the oh, RSC have tried it. A Probably, times uh, yeah. Or? No, I've I've never seen a, a full. We we always edit now, even if it's just a little bit. It, you know, we we've got to make some trims. You know, it, it has to happen. It's really important, <laughs> I think, to to think of your audience. Absolutely. I yes. saw uh, <laughs> Long Day's Journey Tonight on Broadway with Jessica Lange wow. and Gabriel Byrne a couple yeah. years ago, or whatever, and four hours of it, or whatever. Gosh, I, yeah. I never need to see that play again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was pretty wonderful, but you know mm. those actors are all having half an hour off stage. They're having a yeah, break. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You're not. <laughs> We're there for the whole journey. That's right. Um, now, two of Shakespeare's plays are written entirely in verse. Right. Oh, entirely. Okay. Yes, apparently. So, what's that? Richard the Second. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's the other one? Entirely in verse would be oh, I don't know, a Comedy of Errors. King John. Ah, King John. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, 
Yeah. That, that, that's him experimenting, I guess. And, yes. And yeah. Trying something new. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, it's an enormous. I, I'm always amazed at the 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 lexicon that has creeped into to the language right. from, from his plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Let, can we go through a few yeah, go and, and see whether you can um, spot where they are? And I'm sure the listener probably can as well. Okay. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death mm, at once. But once Julius Caesar. Well done. Okay. Mm. <laughs> this is a test. <laughs> that's, that's very good. The, who spoke it? Uh, cowards die many times before. The, that's, um, that is Caesar himself. Yeah, yeah. to, to, to uh, Calpurnia. To Calpurnia, that's right. M- Mrs. Caesar. Yeah, just before he goes and gets the chop. Um. Oh, he, he, he was, um, I was going to say <laughs> circumcised. No, vasectomy. No, yeah. it was a different chop, wasn't it? That's yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That's right. Be not afraid of greatness. Some mm. are born great. Some achieve greatness and others have greatness thrust upon mm, them. That's Malvolio reading the letter. He's getting tricked there. Yeah. He's a fabulous character, Malvolio. Oh, amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. A Puritan um, who gets his comeuppance, but also is but treated also very cruelly. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. It's awful. It's, it's yeah. a real so, bullying, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you're really left in this ambiguous space of, you know, did he deserve it? No, he didn't deserve it. You know, it's yeah, it's awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Mm, Jacquees and As You Like It. Yeah. Beautiful so, so it is, it is Jacquees. Jacquees. What's the proper oh, pronunciation? Look, Some people say Jacques, Jack, yeah. Jacquees. Look, the weird thing about that play is there are two characters with exactly the same name. <laughs> that name appears in two different characters. So usually people say Jacquees for the for that guy and then Jacques for the, for the other one. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and I guess... Playwrights don't do that a lot, do they? Have no. a couple of characters with the same name. No, because they wouldn't. No. In life, that happens all the time. Of course so, it does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you prick us, do we not bleed? Nah. If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? Mm, Shylock. That was the very first Shakespeare quote, I, the speech I ever heard. I was in grade five, and my teacher stood up one day and said oh there was a guy called Shakespeare and he wrote stuff like this and he read that speech and I just I still remember where I was sitting I remember him it's like a thunderbolt hit me um that was the first time I'd ever heard of Shakespeare so that's a very special (laughs) speech for me yeah um but it is a magnificent speech about um you know what that play is about Mm. Uh, again another I saw that uh, at Bell a couple of years ago was a couple of with Mitchell Bittell yes yes Mitchell Bittell Shylock or whatever and Mm. um First time I'd seen the play, but uh, again, a cruel, horrible play. He mm. could be, um, Shakespeare yeah. could be nasty. Yes, it's absolutely awful, isn't it? But I think these days we just got to lean into that. Those, I mean, Merchant of Venice is listed among the comedies, but geez, it's not, it's not very funny. No. I mean, yeah. What was the first Shakespeare play that you experienced? I when I was in, in performance. when I was in high school we saw a production I, I grew up in Perth we saw a production of Antony and Cleopatra at the old Hole in the Wall Theatre in Subiaco and it was yeah it, it just blew my mind just the 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 force of the actors the way that they were you know trying to change each other I suppose and and affect each other was just so powerful um, yeah I'll never forget it it was extraordinary. Yeah. Was that a, a, a WA production? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Hole yeah. in the Wall. Yeah. yeah, that's right. State Theatre of Western Australia. Yeah. Be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great. Some achieve greatness, and others have greatness thrust upon them. You just said that one. That was Did an I? Oh, I'm going back to the top of the page. I'm glad you're with it. <laughs> 
Um, oh, and there we go. Yeah, Merchant of Venice. All yeah. right. Okay. I'm being the smart ass. Um, <laughs> if music be the food of love, play on. Oh, that's the first line of Twelfth Night, Orsino. Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful. Absolutely. That's the only Shakespeare I've done, and I played Orsino. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. Oh, that's yeah. a beautiful role. It is a beautiful play, though. Mm, yeah. Mm. yeah, it really is. I love that play. Viola is one of the great characters he wrote. Yeah, she's so brilliant. Do you... Uh, have a favourite character or characters mm. from the canon of Shakespeare? Oh, look, I love I love Benedict because he's just he, he's witty, but also because he goes on a journey. The great thing about Benedict is that he starts off as kind of a lad, and you know, with all the locker room talk and so on, and eventually realizes that he has to change and becomes quite a different person by the end of the play. I love that journey. I played the role. Um, before I went to NIDA when I was at uni for, for a uni dramatic society production and I'll never forget it it's, and that connection you have with the audience is just magic absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. yeah uh, we'll talk a bit more about Much Ado uh, mm. later on but but um uh, Benedict and Beatrice are uh, mm. sort of that couple they're, they're as almost as famous as Romeo and Juliet aren't they yeah as, I reckon as a couple from Shakespeare yeah and the great thing about it is that I mean Romeo and Juliet comes from a pre-existing source but Benedict and Beatrice he made up completely um, they, they are Shakespeare's invention and really the first kind of from hate to love couple they're, they're the first couple in yeah, it's really the first rom-com I suppose you would say yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's the original yeah. rom-com yeah yeah, yeah. And I suppose, and and you have those a lot. A lot of the actors who play that are, I think Donald Sindon did it, yeah, a famous production, right. didn't he, with yeah. with Judy Dench, I think. Mm-hmm. And then recently, was it um, Catherine Tate and Oh yes, Doctor and Who? Uh, you talked to that's right. What's <laughs> yes. his name? David Tennant. David Tennant. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, All that glistens is not gold. Oh yes, um, Merchant of Venice. That one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know who? Who says all that glistens is not gold? Um, can't remember which Prince character of says that. Oh, the Prince of Morocco. Okay, that's yeah, right. In, in yes. the uh, in the the bits where he's opening the casket. Yeah. Yeah. The course of true love never did run smooth. Oh yes, Midsummer Night's Dream, Lysander. Um, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a, that's a great scene as well, isn't it? And, and another comedy play that has really awful tragic elements in it. You mm. know that her father, Hermia's father, threatens to have her killed or sent to a nunnery if she doesn't marry the guy he wants. You know, she so so he he would always bring in darkness into his comedies. He wasn't content just to make it pure gags. Oh, and. and um the, the cruelness of Oberon, you know, to get yes. back at Titania. I know. Sort of, you know, yeah, to make her have sex with a donkey. That's <laughs> outrageous. <laughs> but it's would, would the dream be... It seems to be done a lot. I think I've seen the dream 25 times. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. And it, the dream is interesting because it's... it's um, everyone's seen it in the park and it's kind of, you know, the fairies running around. So, so it's hard to kind of break through with a, a new production of the dream. Um, we did one a couple of years ago, which was really kind of pared back and only eight actors, and that went really well. So hopefully we'll bring that back again. But but most of the times you see the dream, it's it's kind of light and fluffy, and you know, yeah. th- but there's darker elements in there, yeah. Um, and that's the go- the beauty of, of all these plays. They're so open to interpretation. Mm. Um, I saw The Dream at the Globe um, five years ago or something, yeah. and it had uh, Meow Meow was in it playing mm, um, mm, mm. Titania, and it, and it was very Bollywood. Yeah, right. It was great. Okay. And I just walked yeah. away. It was fabulous. And I think Brilliant. these plays are indestructible. You can do anything to Absolutely. them. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Oh, that's um, Henry the Fourth, yeah. Part Two, isn't it? Mm. Henry the Fourth, Part Two. That's the King Henry yeah. giving advice to his son. But you know, I mean, that that line has been. I've heard that forever. But it's so apt to yeah. anyone that's in a, a management position, absolutely, or, 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 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and this one as well, to thine own self be true. How many times oh, have we quoted that? Hamlet, to Polonius, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great speech. He's, um, I quite like Polonius as a character too. Mm. He's sort of, he's paternal, he's funny, but uh, he, yeah. he's the first to die, I think, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He cops it behind the arras and then, you know, they all fall like dominoes. It's ex- well, I suppose, no, that Macbeth's a bit the same. It's quite extraordinary to see a play, it's about... It's not like watching, watching Game of Thrones, I yes, suppose. You get yeah. attached to these characters, and then, and then by the end of it, they're all, all dead. Yeah, just bodies scattered on the stage. Except for Camp Little Osric, who... Yeah, poor old... <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to oh, be a fool. Um, that's, uh, is that Touchstone? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, as you like so, it. Mm. So the, um, the intelligent clown. Yes, that's right, yes. The, the melancholy fool. Um, and last one here. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Oh, poor Lady Macbeth. Yeah, you, you, you forget about her for a while because she's off stage for so long and then suddenly she comes... Because you go to England and you've got all the, all the stuff with um, Macduff and then all of a sudden you remember, oh, my God, we haven't seen her for a while and she comes crashing in with that scene. It's yeah, extraordinary. Yeah. They're great... Um, blueprints for other stories as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you know hamlet is the lion the king. lion king sure yeah yeah, yeah. Um, hamlet is also uh, sons of anarchy oh the, right yeah the tv series <laughs> okay, but, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, sure and um uh, of course Macbeth, uh, house of cards yep absolutely yeah yeah uh, which is and also richard the third um and of course um you know all of that direct address to the camera you know it's very shakespearean very soliloquy you know yeah yeah, yeah. No. Fantastic. Mm. Um, does Shakespeare on film work? Have you ever seen a... Yeah, look, I think so. Uh, but, but you know, filmmakers have to embrace what's unique about their medium. You know, you, you can't make a... Um, you know, just like theatre makers do. You know, in the 19th century, uh, Victorian theatre makers would you know, have these hugely elaborate sets and t- sort of 20-minute set changes and all of these sorts of things to make it ultra-realistic. But now we know that film can do all that, and so theatre is kind of freed up to you know, create more abstract spaces, perhaps. But, um, yeah, no, I, I like, I enjoy Shakespeare and film. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, you think of Lerman's Romeo and Juliet sure. and, and what they did there with, with really making it quite a, look very sexy mm, and... Um, mm. Yeah, it's an iconic film, and um, you know, and even Branagh's Much Ado, which is just you know lots of fun, and and then um, uh, you know what was that Richard the Third with Ian McKellen? Did you see that one? Oh yes, yes, that yeah, was great, great, yeah. great. And Julie Taymor's The Tempest. Oh yes, yes, yeah. and Titus. Julie Taymor made a Titus as well. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, very different to Olivier's offerings. Yep. Yes, <laughs> very, very different. That's right. Um, you presented. Um, Shakespeare seminars in Hong Kong and Shanghai and yep. Tokyo, Mumbai. Mm-hmm. How is the bard regarded in Asia? They go bananas for it. Yep. They love Shakespeare there. In schools, they're, they're clamouring to get Shakespeare um, more into the classrooms. Um, we're doing quite a bit of work now in Shanghai. We'd, uh, our team's about to go back there in January as well and, and do some more workshops in schools over there. Um, and... Uh, yeah, they, they they love it. Last time I was in Shanghai, there were sort of four Shakespeare productions going on around town. You know, one from a touring English company, another one in Chinese, another one in Chinese with surtitles. So, you know, they, it's really popular. Great. Mm. What's the um, selection process like at Bell? You yeah. know, when you're, you're looking at next year's program, yeah. we don't need to know, mm. but... Um, uh, is that launched yet? Yes, we have. Yeah, yeah we've announced. So we're doing year? Hamlet um, yeah. early in the year, and we're doing Comedy of Errors as our big uh, national tour. Right. Yeah. So what do you take in and consider when when choosing? You know, mm. 
what you've done in the past, what the audience will want to see, what yeah. might have a contemporary yeah. relevance. Look, I think for Peter, the artistic director, he really looks at which plays are going to speak to us today. Uh, and, um, you know, Much Ado was particularly important for that, I think, this year, just in the way that it's uh, it's about men and women, their relationships and how men talk and uh, act um, regarding women. And we thought that was particularly important. But also because it's a comedy and... You know, we we want to laugh. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, there's so much, yeah, there's so much awfulness going on in the world that uh, we've really found that our audiences are keen to sit and enjoy a, a piece of theatre, to laugh, but also take away something from it. You know, so so I think that's the sorts of things that goes through his mind. Yeah. Um, what I found really exciting, you know, Shakespeare was writing for all male troops. Yeah, yeah. But that gender-blind casting, which mm. we're seeing in various roles now. Yeah. Um, you know, you think of Fiona Shaw mm-hmm. in, in the UK and yep. um, uh, yeah. Kate Mulvaney Kate recently. Kate Mulvaney, yes, and, of course, um, yeah. Um, and Blanchett and Rabe in that mm-hmm, War mm-hmm. of the Roses and all that sort of thing. Yep. It's very exciting, isn't yeah. it? It's, uh, and again, proves the strength of the of the material. Yeah. That, um, yeah, that anyone can play these roles, and why not? We have some you know, fantastic women in both dramatic and comic roles, and you know they should be given a chance. These are amazing roles. They, they should be playing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, Belle had done that great production of uh, Taming of the Shrew. With yes, the all-female all cast. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Marion Potts directed that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was great. Mm. So you're doing much ado about nothing at the moment. That's correct. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, how's that going? It's going really well. They're about halfway through the number of shows that they're doing. Um, they're, they've just come from, they've been in Darwin, they've gone to um, uh, Lismore, Tamworth, Port Macquarie, and then pretty soon coming to Sydney. Right. Do you have to tour with it? Do you go and check in occasionally? I go and check or? in once in a while and just to, just to make sure everything's on track. But yeah, right. yeah, a couple of times a year. I guess you toured a lot when you were acting. Yep. Did you enjoy mm-hmm. touring? Yeah, I did, but... Um, you know, it, it puts a strain on families, and you know, I've got a couple of kids now, and and um, I just don't want to be away from them, and that makes it tricky. Finding actors who will go on the road for that long um, is also tricky. But we're really lucky with this cast. We got the actors, all the actors that we, we really wanted for each role, and they agreed to come on the tour, and they've been they've been terrific. You know, some tours, you know, actors there, there can be problems, and they they don't get along, and uh, yeah, yeah. and things can fall apart. But these guys have bonded, and they're they're really really happy so I'm, I'm really pleased yeah well it's like any workplace isn't it really and it yeah. throws up its relationship problems absolutely and, and yeah and you're, you're in planes and in taragos together traveling around the country in pretty close quarters yeah, yeah, yeah. so who have you got in much ado we have zinzia kenyo as beatrice uh who is a superstar she's amazing and duncan rag as benedict who's um a recent grad from nida and very very funny and um, the two of them really hit it off in the audition so that was great and then we're really lucky to have mandy bishop as dogbury and you know because she was in new york and so i thought well on a whim i'm just going to call her and see if she'll do it <laughs> i didn't think she would and so we skyped and she was like yep i would love to absolutely i want to get back to australia and do some touring so we're absolutely thrilled because she's just a comic genius so we're just um i'm just loving watching her and watching that performance grow and shift and morph as as the as the tour goes on a funny role but a tough role isn't it he mm. talks a lot of, is is that the character that talks a lot of gibberish or yes. nonsense? Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he does. But she has absolutely embraced that. So, you know, he'll, he'll completely stuff up a word. But instead of making it sound like, you know, he doesn't know what he's saying, 
you know, Mandy will just say the word just absolutely dead straight as if it means something entirely yeah. normal. And it's hilarious. It's funny. She's brilliant. Right. So what's mm. your approach been to this production? Where Have you said mm. it's where? And- yeah, it's, well, it's, it's contemporary and, you know, it kind of the set looks like a wealthy... Um, kind of contemporary place anywhere in Australia. Kind of looks like a, a, a rich hotel lobby, actually. Um, but it's meant to be kind of playground of the rich and famous where, you know, once they're idle and they've got not much to do, um, nasty things start to happen. Yeah. yeah. So the title, Much Do About Noting. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are the origins there? That's, it's, uh, noting is, is gossip? Or? Yeah, noting while well, overhearing. There's a lot of, there's a whole bunch of overhearing and eavesdropping in this place. So I suppose it would be that. Um, you know, you could also say it's knotting, which is getting together, getting married, having sex. Um, or, you know, apparently it was a bawdy pun as well. Nothing was a bawdy pun about, uh, about genitalia. So, you know, so, oh, so, <laughs> so it's a multiple uh, gags there. Multi layered. Yeah. Um, so st- starting life as an actor, then moving mm. into directing. What's, yeah. Was that an easy sort of move or was it something you'd always wanted to do when you were an actor? Or? No, not necessarily. No. But uh, I, I got a taste for it when I got to direct some of the education program when I first arrived at Bell. And I thought, oh, this is um, this is great. You get to, you know, shape the whole piece instead of just having your own um, little segment. And so uh, luckily, Peter kept giving me these opportunities to direct more and more. And John Bell as well um, when he was at the company. Um, so it's just kind of grown organically. I didn't study directing at NIDA. I studied acting at NIDA, but um, just kind of learnt from being in the room with John and with Peter Evans and just picking up tips from them. Well, that's right. I think you serve a bit of an apprenticeship as an actor, watching yes. directors work and different mm. directors in their styles. And yeah, you, very much. Yeah. Through osmosis, you pick up all of those skills as well. Yeah, very much. So... Yeah. Would I be right in assuming that you've only really directed Shakespeare? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've directed a couple of other little things here and there, but Shakespeare's been my main focus. That's uh, pretty the niche. <laughs> uh, would you like to direct other repertoire? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to, but um, you know, I, uh, I'm still, yeah, I'm still obsessed. I, yeah. I, I would say I, I still I haven't dug out everything that I want to <laughs> from Shakespeare. I'm not sure that we ever will, but. Um, uh, yeah, I'm still really, really keen to keep going. So your knowledge is very broad about the Bard, of course. Is that if you don't know study, or is it just yeah. being an actor? He's just been a- yeah, an actor. But then I also because again because I'm obsessed, I went back to Sydney Uni and did an MA, and so so I've got oh, right. I've, I've got that as well. But um, uh, yeah, really, that's all I've wanted to do since I was in high school. I'm not saying that's a normal childhood, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's all. That's uh, I love Shakespeare since I was a kid, so that was it. Um, are there any other playwrights that you enjoy the work on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Arthur Miller and um, Tennessee Williams and August Wilson. Um, uh, who else? Yeah, lots, lots, and lots of playwrights. Um, but. Uh, but really, it's funny when you start when you when you delve into Shakespeare, you you start getting kind of single minded uh, single minded about it. But I love going to see new plays as well. Um, I saw City of Gold recently at um, uh, at the Griffin, which was extraordinary, uh, and just a really fresh new voice, Maine Wyatt, who's who's been in one of our shows before as well. Um, you know, talking about. Uh, issues that relate to Indigenous Australians in WA and over here in Sydney and um, the, the split between country and city and, and what they go through and appropriation of their culture and you know the, I think all of these stories need to sit side by side alongside the classical repertoire they all need to go together I think yeah, yeah. absolutely mm. 
And the Griffin is such a tiny space also. You get mm. such a different experience as an, as an audience yep, yep. in relating to the players. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a, um, an opening night ritual that you go through? You know, we talked <laughs> a little bit about superstition before with the yeah. Scottish play, but is there anything that you do as, well, first of all, yeah. as an actor, was there anything yeah. that you went through? An opening night ritual? No, not really, not at all. I, no, um, just your warm-ups? Just, just the warm-ups. Yeah, you just got to make sure your voice is warm and your body because, you know, it's a shock getting out there on that stage. If you haven't warmed up, um, it can really throw you. Um, but the audi- audience at it on an opening night is all- always really warm. They're really friendly. You know, we try and uh, pack it with the friends and family of the cast and crew to just really support them um, as they as they head off onto the season. Yeah. And as a director, you have mm. notes and yes. Well, I try pop well, in and say hello. And yeah, that's right. So pop in backstage just at the half hour call, just to to wish the whole cast well and make sure I see each one of them, um, and then put my notebook away on opening night. I don't write down write anything down. I just try and sit down and enjoy the show and try and see it through the eyes of the audience. Great, great. Mm. What about reviews? They're, they're, yeah, they're yeah, part reviews. of our business. They are. Do, do you read them or take note? No, of I don't. I used to, and then it just got too sad. Uh, sometimes getting slagged off is is really hard, and then it gets into your head. Yeah. And then other times, you know, uh, 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 that the bad yeah. things do. The good things are <laughs> yeah. sort of in, and they disappear again. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, but even but even the good reviews, you know, you just kind of. You know, you find yourself thinking about it and thinking, oh, this person really liked what I had to say. But we have to be, you know, we have to uh, be confident in the show that we made and back ourselves and, and not let these voices get into our heads. So yeah. I try and avoid them. Yeah. That's a question I ask everybody. And mm. uh, they all say yeah, the yeah. same thing. Oh, do they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, what makes you happiest about your job? Um, what makes me happiest is just walking into walking into that rehearsal room and sitting down with with three or four artists who I'm really really excited to work with and just saying right let's read scene one and let's just talk about let, let's see what this thing means I love collaborating I love mm. I love being in a room with other artists and throwing ideas around and bouncing things off each other and learning from each other I learn something every single day from other artists creatives designers and so yeah my favorite thing is just walking into that rehearsal room and sitting down with a bunch of three or four actors and just um, grappling with a scene attacking it yeah, yeah. That, that exploration that takes place in, mm. in a rehearsal period is very exciting Oh yeah, it's it's a thrill. Yeah, finding the right solution to mm. to a scene or whatever. Yeah, that's right. And then you have to start locking things down and making decisions, and that gets pretty hard. But I love that first moment where anything is possible. Yeah. Mm. So much ado playing the opera house. Yes. In the is it the drama theatre? Uh, in the playhouse. Playhouse. The opera right. house. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so from the twenty fifth of October, I think, for about a month. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, chook us for the Sydney season. Thank you. Did you finish here? Yeah, yeah, that's the last one. It's 27 venues and Sydney's the last one. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Long tour. Mm. Um, and what next for you? And then I'm I'm actually going back on stage. I'm going to play Horatio in our production of Hamlet next year. So oh, so I'm going to yeah be a part of that cast, which will which will be a thrill as well to allow someone else to <laughs> to take the directing reins and and um, and just um, look after my own character. Do, do a, a bit of skull work. Mm, that's right. Um, <laughs> and is Pete directing that? Yes, he is. Yeah. Great. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. Well, all the best for much ado, and thanks for uh, sharing your wisdom about the Bard. No worries. Today. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Much Ado About Nothing begins its season at the Sydney Opera House on October 22nd. And in this episode, we spoke with the show's director, James Evans. 
Bell Shakespeare has also recently released its season for 2020, productions of Hamlet and the Comedy of Errors to look forward to. Further information at bellshakespeare.com.au. Now, I know I go on about it, but have you rated and reviewed The Stages podcast yet? Don't I go on about it. Don't tell me it slipped your mind. It's easy. Just go to the podcast directory in iTunes. That's probably where you've accessed this episode. Scroll to the bottom and you'll see a section titled Ratings and Reviews. Tap to rate via the stars. Hopefully you'll, you'll give me five. And then follow up with a few choice words or phrases by tapping on the section Write a Review. Your support here will help to give the podcast a broader exposure and lift us in the ratings. As always, I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to Stages. Stages.